Hey, it's lovely to be here. Um, Andy, I thought you, you preached my sermon with your worship. Didn't he do well? Yeah. I mean, I loved it, you know, a little, bit of, a little bit of country, a little bit of gospel. Yeah, a little bit of singing a little louder. Come on, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so that was great. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to keep coming back to this church to preach because basically I'm a better golfer than Duncan. But, but I never beat him. I never beat him. So it's very annoying. So we're speaking on suffering, but uh, not the first world problems of uh, not being able to beat Duncan at golf. Uh, we're in uh, uh, Psalm 124. Um, and the series we're in is discipleship in an instant uh, society. If you've been around, you've probably heard a few talks on this. But, you know, we do live in an, an instant society. We do live in this now society. We do live in this kind of next day delivery, same day delivery. I want my food delivered to my door by a driver in a, on, on a motorbike in an hour. You know, and we, we'd love, wouldn't we, to have instant things. I'd love those kind of instant diet pills, you know, always read the label. You know, you think, oh, wow, wouldn't that be great? You know, instead of trying to be healthy, my wife keeps encouraging me, but it's not really working. Um, and, you know, it used to take days to write a sermon. It used to take days to write a sermon. Uh, chat GPT is brilliant. Two minutes, brilliant. All done. So, you know, I hope you enjoy it today. <laughs> No, sadly, I did this old school, so it did take me a, a while. But I think that the point of the series is that you can't become like Jesus in an instant. You can't become like Jesus in an instant. And, and, and I love the fact that you've got an encounter night. And I love the fact that, that we believe that you can lay hands on people and they can be healed. I love the fact that you can pray for people and you can see instant transformation. Hands up if you believe in that. Okay, a few. No, all of you. Very good. I thought you would. Duncan's a great leader in that sense of let's believe God. But wouldn't it be amazing? I mean, you know, wouldn't it be amazing? You can nudge your partner if you're with your partner. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could say, right, okay, just come to the front and we'll just pray for you and you become the perfect husband. Wouldn't that be amazing? You know, we'd just like lay hands on and, you know, the perfect wife. Wouldn't it you know, you know, be amazing if your kids are a nightmare? Let's get these teens forward and we just pray for them and suddenly they're instantly wonderfully engaged and they're not playing on their Xboxes. You know, wouldn't it be amazing if you could do that? Wouldn't it be amazing if, 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 if as a church leader, I mean, church leadership is so easy, if you could just lay your hands on the, on the church and suddenly they're transformed. They give away their money. They serve on Sundays. They pour their lives lives out to the port. Wouldn't that be amazing? And I'm not saying it can't happen. And we could probably bring up a load of stories where God has done something in amazing in a moment. But actually, sometimes things take longer. Sometimes take, uh, uh, and the book we're using, actually, now, do you want to just dig in my back at the book and I'll wiggle that book out? Uh, if you haven't read the book, the, the, ser- the book we're jumping off this series from is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. If Duncan hasn't told you that's where the series has come from, now we know you have. Okay, Duncan, well done. Integrity is important in church. (laughs) So this is a great book, and it talks about a long obedience in the same direction. So it's, it's not saying that God can't do things in an instant, but it's actually saying that God is also working in long term through your life. And so if you said, and we've, and, you know, and Andy's already blown all the cover. There's no tension now about what I'm preaching about. But the reality is, if you were to say, you know, what's the biggest way, or what's one, one of the biggest ways that, God, that Jesus can transform you over a number of years you probably won't put your hand up and say suffering, would you? You probably wouldn't. 
But actually, the Bible is full of wisdom about suffering. It's full of wisdom about how God uses suffering to transform us and how God walks with us in suffering. So let's read uh, Psalm 124. Uh, that was an amazing song, by the way. I mean, was it South America? I mean, you said we went to... Yeah, I mean, man, that's great. I think, whoa, what great words. This is, this is Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the book, Long Be the Same, same Direction, he, he wrote the message. This is his translation of Psalm 124. So if you've got something different, it's not because I'm trying to cheat. I'm just following this book. Okay, so let's read it. If God hadn't been for us, all together now, Israel, sing out. If God had not been with, for us when everyone went against us, we'd have been swallowed alive by their violent anger, swept away by the flood of rage and drowned in the torrent, would have lost our lives in the wild, raging water. Oh, blessed be God. He didn't go off and leave us. He didn't abandon us defenseless, hopeless as a rabbit in a pack of snarling dogs. We've flown free from their fangs, free from their traps, free as a bird. Their grip is broken. Amen. They're free. We're free as a bird in flight. God's strong name is our help. The same God who made heaven and earth. Father, we just pray that you'd let the words of this psalm and hopefully the truth of this message just impact us in an instant culture, Lord, that you'd show us, Lord, that you are often at work deeply in those most challenging moments. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be those that run away scared from risk and challenge. But, Lord, we lean into it knowing that you teach us and that you're with us and you're for us. And God's people said? Amen. Amen. So this psalm begins and ends with uh, confidence in the massive truth. Uh, God is for us. And it finishes with God's strong name is our help. And it's the sort of thing, Eugene Peterson said in his book, it's the sort of things that you expect a pastor to talk about. You expect to come to church and expect uh, pastors and, and worship leaders to tell you that God is for you and that God is your help. And, and, and when you're in church, you go, amen. Isn't that amazing? But the reality is when it sounds great in the day to day, but, but perhaps when you walk out into life, that's when you stress test that truth. That's when life puts pressure on you and you stress test. Is that really, really true? People might come and say, well, that's fine for you, Howard. You know, you, you've got a comfy life, you've got a nice wife, you've got nice kids, you live in a little nice middle-class Cheltenham. That's fine for you, but you, what about my life? It's fine for you, it's fine for preachers, but what about my life? If you knew my life... You wouldn't say that. You know, my life is it's full of family tragedies, you might say. You might say my life's full of grinding poverty. You might say I live in a society awash with this visceral anger. It feels like that, 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 that David, the writer of the Psalms, has been on Facebook, doesn't he, and been cancelled, you know, if you look about what's happened to him. You might say, but we live in this flood of mental health crisis. I'm using the, 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 the men's facilities, and there's a, a post on the wall. For the staff, you know, are you suffering from mental health? We're awash with a mental health crisis. There's loneliness. There's brokenness. I don't know if you heard this week that uh, uh, props in God First Church in Cheltenham, the most quoted pastor that w is a guy called Tim Keller. Died of cancer 
uh, was it Friday or Friday? Friday. Died of cancer on Friday. Um, you think why? The world is is broken. And I think Eugene Peterson in his book says the Psalms are not some sort of airbrushed, rosy advert for the good times. Uh, where there's no pain or suffering or crisis, there's no that. No, the, the, the Psalms are those honest places. And in Psalm 124, David talks about when everyone turned against him. Wow. When the violent anger of his enemies threatened to swallow him alive. When he faced being drowned by a flood of rage, being chased helpless as a rabbit by a pack of snarling dogs. Wow. Like a helpless bird caught in a trap. You might not describe your life in those terms as if you've got loads of enemies. But you might describe it in ways that you feel like you might be in danger of being overwhelmed by your circumstances. You might describe it in a way of being overwhelmed by a flood of the brokenness and sin of this broken world. And the thing is, our culture, in Western culture, seems like it's all about finding... Your camera's that way. I just feel I should... You know, feel like, wow, I just forgot the camera's that way. I thought Duncan was the most important, but no. <laughs> um, you know, you, you can feel like that, that uh, in our culture, in the Western culture, it's all about f- finding happiness. You know, what we really want is to find happiness and com- comfort. And 21st century West, we're aware from our TV screens that the world is full of suffering and anguish and pain and disappointments. We, you know, you don't need to look far into Europe to see the, to, to see the war in, in Ukraine. You don't need to look, you know, into Burma and, and Bangladesh to see the, 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 the Rohingya Muslims and, their, and the, the way that that, that um, hurricane, the cyclone, has just impacted them. You don't need to look very far to see oppression and disease and exploitation and injustice. You don't, you don't have to look very far in this city, do you? But in one sense, we feel that that sort of suffering happens mostly to people that's not us. Um, Duncan and Jill got a lovely dog, Wesley. If you haven't met Wesley, then do meet him. And this morning, he's on the, the little sun like a little bench that they've got, and he's like this. He's laid back, and I thought, oh, happy day. And I thought, Wesley the dog has a better life than so many people. You know? He's just got, he doesn't have a worry. He's fed and watered and loved. And and we feel like life should be like Wesley life for us, don't we? You know, we think life should be perfect. And, and yes, we're, we're hardwired to avoid pain. But in the Western society, that's become an art form. We're expert at removing life's discomforts. In the West, our purpose is to enjoy ourselves, to have a grand designs house with bifold doors, uh, to, ha- to enjoy good food and drink. Thank you, Duncan. You've been a lovely host. Uh, you know, to, 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 to take dream family holidays. Not to camp for once, but to stay in actually buildings. You know, we, we dream of the good life, and, and we feel that, that that's, that's, our, that's what we should all have. And you're told, aren't you, by culture, that if you make the right choice, then you can live a comfortable, happy, pain-free life. Tim Keller, in his book, which I wish I'd brought to, to show you, but he's wrote a book 
when he's struggling with cancer, I mean, he wrote so much when, when he was dying of cancer. I just said to Naomi, the, the sovereignty of God that he died slow, where he just wrote and wrote and wrote for three years. And he wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, and he said this. The problem, with the contempt- the problem is that contemporary people, people in the West, people in New York where he is, and maybe here, people think that life is all about finding happiness. We decide what conditions will make us happy and then we work to bring those conditions about. To live for happiness means we're trying to get something out of life. But when suffering comes along, it takes the conditions for happiness away. So suffering destroys all your reasons to keep living. So you fall apart. We all face pain and suffering. We're all going to face it. We've all, some of you, it's etched in your faces. Some of you are young and you feel like I've not really suffered. But we're all going to face pain and suffering. And the idea is that, that in, in the West particularly, that we think that pain and suffering is this isolated island and we, we, are, we swim or we live in this ocean of happiness. So if somebody's in pain and suffering, you think, whoa, 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 that's really the abnormal thing because life should be perfect. Dane Ortland in his brilliant book Deeper says, pain is not the islands of our lives, but the ocean. Disappointment is the stage in which all, uh, all life unfolds, not the occasional blip on an otherwise smooth, comfortable life. So David in Psalm 124 is not describing a unique situation for David. He's describing life for all of us. In the New Testament, Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter 4.12, familiar verses perhaps. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not something strange. Severity and difficulty and suffering is universal to everybody's life and it's particularly universal to every believer's life. Paul Tripp commenting on this passage 1 Peter 4 says this, all of us face difficulty of some kind. It could be those momentary difficulties that are just the irritants of life in a fallen world. Or it could be those huge life-transforming difficulties Where on the other side you say, my life will never be the same. And all of us somehow, some way, will face difficulties in this fallen world. My moment in my life is my dad died at 17. It's shaped so much of who I am. The tears and the difficulties and how it affected my mom and how it affected us. We're all going to face that. We're all going to face death and death of friends and family and parents. We're all going to face that. Even if your life seems smooth and normal, you're all going to face it. And actually, sometimes in those moments, always in those moments, never sometimes, always in in those moments, it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. You know, what you don't really need in those moments is your nice, cheery Christian friend saying, God is for us. God's name is our help, even though we deeply believe that's true. You know, when Jesus' best friend died, what did he do? He wept. He wept. 
One, let, one of the sisters got a little sermon, and the other one got compassion. But most of the time, Jesus tells us to weep with those who weep. Why? Because it's human, isn't it? But, but in the weeping comes the questions, yeah? In the weeping comes the questions. You, you, you weep first, and then you ask yourself in that moment, when everybody else has moved on, why? So, you know, I found when my dad died... I felt God so close to me, 17, so close to me. And you felt everybody else so close to you. Everybody was there and the funeral was packed and everyone loved you. But then two weeks down the line, everyone else just forgot. And you're alone and you ask why. And sometimes we believe that, the, the, that this idea that if you stay close to Jesus, nothing bad will happen to you. If you've been told that, there are churches that tell you that. They're often full and huge because we want to hear that, don't we? Stay close to Jesus, nothing bad would happen to you. I don't know if you read the, uh, the, about the life of Paul. I thought he stayed pretty close to Jesus, didn't he? And he lists it. I'm not, time doesn't permit me to go. I'm danger at country, danger in the sea, danger from my friends, danger from my enemies, danger from the Gentiles, danger from the Jews, danger in the country, danger in the town. He stayed close to Jesus. And we can easily conclude that if bad stuff happens, that God can't be for us. You need to believe a bit harder. Sing a little louder. Sorry, no dig at the song. Couldn't help. But you know, that, that's going to be fine. But actually the reality is we can easily say, well, God must be mad at me if this has happened. Or, or God doesn't care for me. Or even, there is no God. I love the little... Moments in, in, in the Gospels, Mark 4 uh, describes it, says a furious squall came up. David's in a furious squall in Psalm 124. You might be right now in a furious storm. The waves broke over the boat so they were nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Obviously, stay close to Jesus, you get a nice cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, say it with me, is it up there? Yeah. Read it with me. what we like isn't it Jesus don't you care look what's happening the cancer the breakdown the emotions the poverty the stuff the disappointments the hurt the pain Jesus don't you care and in those moments we ask that question Dan Ortland in the the book that I described deeper he talks about um, it's almost as we live, live life in two circles let me see if it comes up here yes Circle one is that circle that contains what we say we believe. God is for us. God's name is strong. God is our help. That's God is loving. He's for us. He's, yeah, we've, we've, presumably, uh, uh, if you're a Christian, you've got that circle. If you're finding Jesus, you may not have that circle yet, but I'm saying that circle is real and strong and true. But we also have this other circle our experience and what our feelings and emotions are telling our heart. Now, pain and suffering can force these circles either to move farther apart or overlap. What do we want? We want them to overlap. We want what we believe and how we live to overlap. So when life hurts, disciples of Jesus, we find ourselves facing an internal choice. Either we can 
go the way of cynicism. We can let our hearts become hard and you can blame God and you can deny that God loves you and can choose to believe that Jesus is asleep in a cushion in heaven and you don't care. That he's far away and he's indifferent to your pain and that he's even the cause of your suffering. So you choose that road. And I've, as a pastor over 20 odd years, I've seen so many people choose that road. Your faith starts to wobble. And you doubt what you believe. And in that moment of pain and suffering, you think that what you've experienced is dis disproved what you believe. Oh, I used to be a Christian. I used to be red hot. I used to press in a church. I used to do this. I, I, I used to do that. And then I played golf with a, not Duncan, another guy. He's probably easier to beat, actually. He used to come to our church. I, I love him deeply. His wife committed adultery. And she, in many ways, was the keener one. But he said, well, if that's what Christians are like, I'm done with God. And I'm not saying that what he did, I can't understand. I really can understand it. But we risk the slide of denying God's existence and the Circles are forced apart and you've got to choose who's defining me. Or, or you can press into greater depth with God than you've ever known. You can let pain and suffering do something to your soul that causes your faith to deepen in a way that's pure joy. If you went out into Mill Hill High Street and said to, your, said to the local people, can you describe for me what's pure Something that brings you pure joy. You might even go to Malta and ask people that. What brings you pure joy? I doubt very few would give the Bible answer. Paul Tripp says, so, sorry, uh, Jesus' brother James says, consider it pure joy. What? James, come on, get real, get with the 21st century. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many times, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you be perfected and whole. I think there's a sermon on perseverance coming, so I'm not going to lean into that. But there's a little three words in there that is gold. James tells his readers, for you no. For you know. James's readers were facing suffering and persecution in the Roman world. They were facing uh, being uh, outcasts. They were facing potentially uh, deeper persecution. It hadn't really kicked in at that point, but they were facing being uh, the worst kind of stuff. They were facing death. And through that experience, they know something that people who've lived a life of comfort can never know. Pure joy. How would you crazy? Paul Tripper says this. Now I can't wake up, work up that unshakable joy in myself. The faithful heart of the disciple, the faithful heart of a disciple, is only the ever the product. So I'm reading like I've never read before. Let me start again. Now, I do have a bit of dyslexia, so sometimes it can just arrive in the middle of a sermon. Uh, now, I can't work. Can you, let's read it together, shall we? And I'll just, 
Let's press the reset button. Boop. Okay, let's read it now. The God will take you where your heart intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. Thank you. Trinity, you're a lovely church. So I am quite finished, but I want to just break it up a little bit, and I want Naomi to come. Oh, you didn't know that was your cue, did you, girl? So let's give Naomi a round of applause. Okay, so this is one example of a challenging time in my life, and I don't want to make out that it's the only challenge I've faced. It was a fairly significant challenge at the time. Um, so four years ago, I was 50, and I had a big party, and then the NHS invite you to have a mammogram to check whether you have got breast cancer, because it's more likely to develop the older you get. And surprisingly... Um, my when I went to be tested it came back positive and to cut a long story short um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, three days before my dad um, my mum had died it was a turbulent few years my mum had died 18 months before before my dad had got together with somebody very quickly which we all found very difficult and um, he was marrying her and I was diagnosed three days before their wedding so there was just a lot going on emotionally um yeah and anyway got through the wedding and then I had to face treatment and surgery and I've got three we've got three kids who are in their 20s and um you're just like oh my goodness this wasn't meant to happen to me um uh, my sister's had breast cancer. My mum had died of cancer. It, it is in the family. Um, but still, it's like, oh, my goodness. Um, so people were really kind and sent me encouraging words and sent me Bible verses. And I think you read something, perhaps when you're not going through a trial, and it's, you know, it's kind of, it's God's word and it's good, it's true. But when you're really suffering, those words mean so much more. So I think I, I've been a Christian for a long time and I've, I know God's faithfulness. I've known his faithfulness throughout life. So I thought, God, you will be faithful. This, I, I, you know, I'm not exempt from suffering. I live in this broken world. Christians get cancer, don't they? So um, I, I just found um, reading God's word really, really helpful. And these verses that people would send me, talking about God's faithfulness, how he fathers us, how he's tender with us, how his, it talks about, you know, God being like a mother hen and his, his arms, his everlasting arms holding us up and how his arms, his wings are like feathers that kind of care for us. And all of those words and pictures kind of went a long way to helping me focus on the truth that God was still faithful despite what I was going through. Um, anyway, I am still here, and I, I did have um, surgery, but um, 
I, I'm here and, you know, I'm in remission and all, all is good. Um, when I, I'm a teacher and when I went back to work, people said to me, oh, you're so strong, you're such a strong person. And I thought, well, that might be true. But And then they said, oh, you've got such strong faith, haven't you? And I, and I thought, well, yes, that is true. But then I said to them, actually, I have got strong faith, but it's in a strong God. It's not just I'm a strong person, because we can have faith in our own ability to cope sometimes, can't we? Or in our self-belief. You know, the, wor the world will tell you, you believe in yourself. You, it's within you to heal yourself, to overcome. I thought, no, there's nothing in me that can be strong in this moment. It's, it's in God. So those kind of things happen and they are strengthening, they are devastating, but they are strengthening for us. And it's for me, it's been a, a great opportunity to talk to people about kind of how I've walked through that journey. Naomi saw the two circles overlap. You think in that moment, are the two circles going to push apart? I'm going to think, well, what's, what's really there? But actually, no, in that suffering, <clears throat> you can find that God can fill it with his transforming purpose. Again, so, uh, Eugene Peterson, out of his book, is, uh, says, Psalm 124 is an instance of a person who digs deeply into trouble and finds there the presence of the God who is on our side. In the details of the conflict, in the minuteness of the personal history, the majestic greatness of God becomes revealed. Faith develops out of the most difficult aspects of our ex existence, not the easiest. Faith develops out of the most difficult aspects of our existence, not the easiest. If God's allowing us to suffer, his dear son suffered. His dear son walked the way of suffering and we must believe that, that God has a purpose in suffering as he walks with us through our pain. Tim Keller, in again, the book on uh, walking with God through pain and suffering, says this, suffering is at the heart of the Christian faith. It's not only the way that Christ became like us and redeemed us, but it is, the, it is one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. And that means our suffering, despite its painfulness, is often filled with purpose and usefulness. I don't know if you've ever read books by Jerry Bridges. He, he's, he, he writes books on the grace of God. And, and he was born in 1929. And he worked from a poor farming family. Yeah, there's a picture of him. And um, a poor farming family. And he was, he was born with severe disabilities. He was cross-eyed. He was deaf in his right ear, which was not fully deformed. His spine and breastbone had huge deformities. And his family was so poor, so he had poverty on top of that. His family was so poor, they couldn't afford medical treatment. But age 18, you could say, in spite of, but I would say, because. Because of his pain and suffering. He sat in his bed one night and said, God... Whatever it takes, I want Christ to be my saviour. And Jerry Bridges, when he was 60, wrote a book called Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. 
And he said this, it's back there, God never wastes pain. He always uses it to accomplish his purposes. So let me give you two and then we'll land. And I know it's been long, but I feel you're still with me. and We're resonating. First of all, suffering gives you a true perspective of the world. Suffering as a wake-up call to our sleeping souls. The materialistic Western world wants you to put you to sleep to the realities of the world. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. If you're giving yourself to pleasure, you might find the voice of God is just a whisper. He speaks to us in our consciences. Perhaps as you read the Bible, God, you find God speaks to you. But he shouts in our pain. And he doesn't shout, I have left you. He shouts, I am for you. My name is strong. I am with you. When life gets comfortable, we can easily forget the eternal and substitute it for what's wasting away and transcendent. One person put it that we, we can focus, and I get this the wrong way around, we can focus on the momentary and miss the momentous. I want my kitchen decorated, the momentary. Miss the momentous. What is God doing? And we chase the wrong things, fleeting pleasures of sin. Suffering stops us becoming shallow in our priorities. Suddenly everything becomes real. When we came from the cancer clinic and we went on our bikes, because you can't park in the NHS if you, if you know that, we went on our bikes and, 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 and Naidzi was remarkable after she'd had the you know, as we've been there, and they said it's fast growing, but it's not gone very far. We're going to move fast. And we stopped our bikes before we got home, because the kids were all at home, I think, weren't they? Two of them were at home. And they said, let's pray. And she just prayed this incredible prayer about what's truly important, about Jesus and his goodness, about our families and the faith they've got. And it was just remarkable. All the stuff we've worried about just felt, what are we worried about that? This thing is really important. And suffering can also can transform our view as ourselves. Great uh, London preacher C.H. Spurgeon says, trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we're made of. You know, you probably can say, God dug up the soil in suffering, and actually what I found is that God had deposited some gold in me, some precious stones that would stand the test of fire. Or you might think, whoa, what was dug up? We've got a massive tendency, haven't we, to, to live as if we're in control of everything. I think Naomi said that. We live self-sufficient. We think we, our society says you can fix it. Find, find the help within yourself. Find the strength within yourself. And modern technology tells us that. There's not, a, there's not a problem we can't fix. That's what we think. But suddenly something called suffering that, that breaks into our lives topples the idol of our own power and self-sufficiency. Uh, Paul writing about leading churches. Do pray for your leaders. You're talking about this is, a, this is about the pressure of just leading churches. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. Read this verse with me. 
But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. Suffering is saying, you're really good. You're really competent. You're really capable. But actually now you're beyond yourself. You need to rely on God. Wow, we might not rely ourselves on God. Suffering loosens our love for this world and demonstrates our fragility. And it turns our affections to the one who is our help. Let me finish with two quotes, three quotes, and read the Bible and then we'll break bread. God helps us in suffering. I know I've said that that's easy to say and I've spent a lot of time saying you're going to suffer and the challenges are, but the bottom line is you must take that big circle of what you believe and say, that's the thing. That's the hope. That's the anchor. We sang it, didn't we? That's the thing that's most important. I believe, even in the midst of trouble, I believe that. Tim Keller said this, perhaps weeks, months before he died. Suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. As Tim Keller was dying, he said, I'm ready to go home. He said, I'm ready to see Jesus. He said, there are no downsides of me going. His family prayed with him and, and Kathy, his wife, kissed him on the forehead. He closed his eyes and went home to Jesus. Others, through cancer and challenge and difficulties, we pushed the circles apart, but Keller found deep within him that God had placed gold. Let Eugene Peterson and the psalmist have the last words. A look to the heavens can bring a breathtaking sense of wonder and majesty. A feeling of praise to the God who made heaven and earth. This psalm looks in the other direction. It looks into the troubles of history. The anxiety of personal conflict and emotional trauma. And it sees there a God is on our side. God is our help. If God had not been for us altogether now, Trinity sing. Oh, blessed be God. He did not go off and leave us. He didn't abandon us defenseless. God's strong name is our help. The same God who made heaven and earth. He finishes the chapter. It's brilliant. We speak the words of praise in a world that's broken and hellish. We sing our songs of victory in a world where things get messy. We're traveling in the light towards God who is rich in mercy and strong to save. It is Christ, not culture, that defines our lives. It is God's help we experience, not the hazards we risk that shape our days. Father, let this hard truth that feels so easy to preach so hard to live I pray Lord Jesus that we would know that it's pure joy to find you close in suffering I pray that we'd never let those doubts and cynicism that God doesn't care that he's asleep in the boat he doesn't, that he's not interested Lord we banish those and say Lord whatever happens we know that you're good and we say, use that truth to shape us to be more and more like you. To live not chasing comfort and momentary pleasures, but to live.
for you, Lord Jesus, the one who suffered and died for us.